0: Welcome to Quid Pros Quo. I'm Rin And I'm Zach. And this week we are talking about the influence of real world cultures. This is a continuation of our world building series, and we're super excited to talk about this episode because I'm sure this is a topic that you've all been on the edge of your seat for.
1: Yeah, so the reason why we're talking about this is because it is so common in a fantasy world building World building, in particular, but when we're we're focusing on fantasy world building for the purposes of this discussion, that real world cultures end up playing a big role in the way that authors go about constructing the cultures inside of their fantasy world, um, because coming up with a new culture from scratch is super super difficult, and we like drawing inspiration from particular times and places in Earth's history. Now, on the one hand, this practice, it can be beneficial because it allows you to leverage what the readers already know. And it helps grant a sense of atmosphere to what's going on inside of your inside of your book. If the reader knows that this is supposed to be like pseudo medieval, there's already an atmosphere that goes along with it. And they kind of already know the tropes of Mm -hmm. what's what they can expect there. Um, if it's supposed to be like steampunk and it's Victorian England, or uh, you know, my my thought process jumps over to um, New York during the Industrial Revolution as the setting for um, the first Fantastic Beast movie, the actually a good one. Yeah, um,
0: <laughs> feel that.
1: Those are those help build up the atmosphere. On the other hand. Borrowing from real world cultures means that there are some new challenges to be navigated as we are, you know, as a community and as a um, as a business, becoming more aware of what's going on with things like cultural appropriation versus uh, cultural appreciation and those sorts of those sorts of questions.
0: Yeah, and I would like to make a disclaimer real quick. Zach and I are both white, so we are by no means experts on other cultures. Um, and, you know, we just don't want to set ourselves up as experts, what we're mm-hmm, not. We mm-hmm. are just discussing this from a craft standpoint, not from we are an expert on any of these cultures we may mention. Right. So, there are two ways that real world cultures often inspire world building. First, like, the fictional culture has a similar situation or problem to a real world culture, therefore it makes sense for there to be a shared solution. And the second way is, like, when you copy-paste a culture, Mm -hmm. um, which, and when we talk about challenges, copy-pasting cultures becomes more challenging to navigate, and sometimes more problematic when it is not your own culture you're copy-pasting.
1: Yes, yes. So, oftentimes you can tell when a culture has been copy-pasted. So, like, Shadow and Bone is very obviously, like, fantasy Tsarist Russia, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's wonderful, and I love that series. Um, but you you can tell like Tsarist yeah. Russia there's Imperial China there and there are Fantasy Vikings like those are your three big cultures inside of Shadow and Bone um, Priory of the Orange Tree has Fantasy Medieval Europe Imperial China slash Japan kind of blended together and Fantasy Ottomans slash Muslim Empire um, there's a really long maybe not really long but there is a little note at the beginning of the of the Priory of the Orange tree that says that these cultures are not meant to be copy pasted but it's pretty obvious. Um, the Poppy war has fantasy China, fantasy Japan and fantasy Imperial Britain it's not it's not hard mm-hmm. and readers will pick up on it.
0: Yeah um, on the notes of I saw of this and it's not in the, song, the show notes mm-hmm. but like on the note of like copy pasting your own culture, Copy paste sounds like a little bit like negative connotation. Mm-hmm. That's not how we're using it. But like if you are using your own culture then it can become a like hashtag own stories novel mm-hmm. which are to my understanding in high demand. Like they're cool. I love reading own stories stuff. I just read The Mermaid, The Witch and the Sea by mm-hmm. Maggie Takuda Hall, mm-hmm. which is like an own voices like Japanese Empire inspired type story. Mm-hmm. And it was really cool. So, this all goes to say that there's nothing wrong with copy-pasting, but if you do copy-paste, then your readers may take your portrayal, whether negative or positive or seemingly neutral, Mm -hmm. of a real-world culture into your fantasy story, and they're like, oh, this is how they view the real-world culture, which... We all have implicit biases, and those are going to make our way into our writing, and we could do a whole other episode if we have it already on managing implicit biases as a writer. Mm -hmm. Um,
1: And this is not to say that this is necessarily the most highbrow of literary criticism to be like, well, if this fantasy culture is supposed to be this, then the author must feel X about this culture. like. In my opinion, that's not super sophisticated critique, but it is critique that is out there, and we have to yeah. deal with it and engage with it.
0: And it's—I feel like it's critique that I see a ton.
1: Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Um, whether or not it's like highbrow literary critique, so it's a good thing, especially if you're writing a story where you do draw from real-world cultures to make sure that you're doing it in a respectful, positive way. Mm-hmm. I think because. I don't know about you guys, but I do not want to be the author that accidentally villainizes a culture that is not my own. Right. Like I'm actually, I make so many of my villains white, all the time. I don't think I've ever made a bad like person <laughs> of color in my books because I'm like, I just can't do it. I I would be burned to the stake. I think. There
1: are definitely there's there are definitely challenges of landmines to be watching out for when you're when you're going for that.
0: Yeah, so let's talk about, like, how we can avoid those.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think step one is doing your research and uh, avoiding stereotypes. Um, sometimes, you know, it's often the case that rumors or stereotypes have, like, a kernel of truth in them, but it's been so reduced down to as to be unhelpful, mm-hmm. right? Um, so you may come across you, you may come across material... That is like, oh, well, this is super important inside the culture, so everybody's going to act this way. You know, you need to be careful and nuanced about the way that you're going about that. But a solid basis of research is key to being able to to navigate um, this borrowing from real world cultures.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Second, and this touches on what I just said about how I haven't really written any POC villains, mm-hmm. um, if you're going to include a villain of a particular culture, you really should include a good person of that same particular culture. Yeah. Because then you don't have a monolith. Yep. Yep. And it's like, you're not saying, oh, all people of this culture are bad. You're saying, oh, there's good people too. And I just I would just suggest to try and strive for like equal representation mm-hmm. of good and bad people from different cultures, yeah. if not trending towards good, because who wants to get canceled? Yeah. Um,
1: Step three, and I would argue most importantly, is it using sensitivity readers. We yes. did an episode on this when we were talking about beta readers, mm-hmm. um, so we'll link that inside of the show notes, but your sensitivity readers can approach the approach to the work in such a way to be able to identify what's going on and give you feedback about how to avoid stereotypes, how to avoid problematic um problematic content, all of those good things. So find sensitivity readers, use them. They are going to be worth their weight in gold as you're going through your writing process in general, but especially if you are borrowing from real world cultures.
0: Yeah, and if I can just like laud one of my sensitivity readers real quick, um, I had them go through Witch's Blood, and they caught like a couple things because I'm a white person, and my both my main characters are POC, mm-hmm. so obviously there were going to be things no matter how much research I did. I think because no research is an excuse for a real life sensitivity reader. I would say yeah, and I'm trying to scroll through the manuscript copy I had my friend Leo read, and they. The example I'm trying to find is, like, I had this construct called the blood golem mm-hmm. in my work, and they brought it up to my attention that, like, golems were...
1: Like, they're originally a part of Jewish... They're originally
0: a part of Jewish culture, and they are Jewish, which is why mm-hmm. they caught this, I think. Um, but it was, like, their sacred creations in Jewish lore made to protect Jewish communities. Mm-hmm. Uh, and witches are, in almost every form of media, caricatures of Jewish people, which I mm-hmm. did not know with mm-hmm. all my research on witches. Um, and so they're like, oh, maybe just use a different word. Yeah. And I did, and now I'm using the word Anthroparian, which is, like, super cool.
1: Yeah, that's fancy. It's
0: fancy. Um, but yeah, so use your sensitivity readers. We were talking about sensitivity readers and beta reading before the episode, and Zach had this really good example, like, he's like, I'm not saying you're a bad person, I'm just saying maybe you want to rethink this. And that should be the attitude in which we should go into all sensitivity reading, like having our work sensitivity read with. Yes. Is like, we're not a bad person, we're not trying to be bad people,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but we make mistakes and we should catch it earlier on in the process rather than after the book is published.
1: Yes, yes. And again, when you're talking with your sensitivity readers, there's no, like, there's no shame in there being something that is problematic. That's part of the work of identifying your own biases and being able to do the work necessary to represent culture as well so in the show notes i have this super big paragraph that talks about borrowing from real life history um but we're going to skip that paragraph right here and the reason why is because we are going to have a special guest who is an archivist who is trained in history to talk to us about historical consciousness inside of fiction um so we'll hit on a lot of these notes when we have them on the show so
0: Just in case you're wondering, that'll be out in like a month or two, probably from the time this episode airs. So, if you're really excited about historical accuracy in your fantasy, which sounds like real nerds about it, (laughs) yeah, um, myself included, like stick around for that. We would love to share that with you.
1: Yeah. So, as we kind of wrap up this discussion of, or at least this introduction to. navigating the influence of real world cultures um, one of the things to be aware of is that in traditional publishing who you are matters and this is going to what rin mentioned before as far as own stories is concerned um, if you are white your portrayal of other cultures will probably receive greater scrutiny than if you have some kind of heritage inside of that culture um, because there is that's just the way that it is right we're on the lookout, and we're trying to make sure that people inside of our communities are feeling represented and are feeling like they are a part of the community. Mm-hmm. So there's a, you know, maybe a higher bar for when we're talking about cultures that that aren't our own.
0: Yeah. And also, this is like maybe a hard truth for some people. Like you need to understand that you cannot prevent people from being offended by your betrayals. You can try to mitigate it by doing Mm -hmm. your sensitivity readers again and, like, getting lots of them. So you try and cover a broader base of experiences. But – and that's just doing your due diligence, and then you just have to hope that that's enough. Mm -hmm. And if it's not, you can – I feel like people who really hate a book are often the minority. Yep. Like, there is the vocal minority – of people who like your book and the vocal minority of people who hate your book. Mm-hmm. But then there's a the silent majority who are, like, probably at least neutral and probably mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, the three-star people. Yep, the three-star three folks. Google. Yeah. I never leave any reviews on any social media. Is that bad?
1: <laughs> we'll talk about that later.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole other episode. Okay. This has been Quid Pros Quo. Thank you so much for tuning in. Next week, we'll be talking about character-focused worldbuilding, which we are both super excited to re- record that episode because it is so much fun to worldbuild around your characters. Uh, again, this has been Quid Pros Quo. Thank you so much for tuning in.
1: Quid Pros Quo is hosted by DC Winters and C.K. Jensen. If you like this episode, be sure to leave us a rating. And if you'd like to contact us, you can email us at quibprosquo at gmail.com. For more episodes, check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts.